0: Let's pray as we come to look at this passage. Lord, how terrible to live without you. Will you show us something of that terribleness as we look at your passage this morning, but also remind us of the wonder of what you have done for us, because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the years, particularly the last few years, I've I've made a habit of trying to read through the Bible uh, every year. Uh, Sometimes I'm successful, uh, sometimes not so successful, and it might take 18 months before I get there. But as I go through, it's amazing how certain verses stick in your mind. And there are some verses I remember because because they... are wonderful verses, great verses to take hold of. <clears throat> but then there are other verses that are terrible. Verses which rock, can rock me to the core, and I think, how, how can that be the case? And one of the verses we read this morning is one of those verses. Then Moses said to him, to the Lord, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How amazing when we remember what God has done in the life of Moses. Even from a, from, a, from a baby, you remember how, how he was sitting in the, in the, in the, in the bulrushes and uh, raised by Pharaoh's daughter. For 40 years, God was preparing Moses to be and to fulfil the task he had for him. <clears throat> After he had a run-in with one of the Egyptians, he fled and went to a, a foreign land. And for 40 years, he lived as an exile of his people while God was preparing him. For the task he had for him to do. And then the time came when God appeared to Moses and told him to go back to Egypt and to deliver his people. God's plan and purpose, as he had said all the way through, was to take his people into a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey that they would possess. And Moses was to be the person that God was going to use to fulfil that promise. But here, at Horeb, it seems like it's all going to come to an end. Why would Moses now say, Lord, do not send us up from here? It must have been something terrible. For him to throw, in, the, in a sense, throw in the towel and give up at this point in time. <laughs> if Moses was going to throw in the towel and give up, he had plenty of better opportunities to do it. Uh, let me give you a few examples. When Moses went back to Egypt and uh, he, he went to Pharaoh and told Pharaoh that God wanted his people to go out, and he went and told the people, uh, they weren't all that impressed. And so they went to Moses, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them and they said may the Lord look upon you and judge you you have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses (laughs) give up now, give up now Anyway, um, as you know, through all the plagues and so forth and the Passover, they do leave Egypt and they head off and they come to the Red Sea. And we find this taking place. When they were facing the Red Sea and the army of the Egyptians were coming behind them, this was the response of the people to Moses. Was it because... There were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the, to the desert to die. What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Notice this. If you're going to give up, <laughs> now's a good time. But it goes on. In a little while there is... No, that, they, that they can't find food and so they, in the habit they, they go and grumble to Moses and Aaron the Israelites said to them oh <laughs> if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death Moses why don't you give up now And then they find there's a lack of water. But the people were thirsty for water there and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Moses, if you wanted to give up, why didn't you do it a long time ago? The people didn't want to go with you. They grumbled and grumbled and grumbled. On one occasion they were, they were prepared to actually, they picked up stones and they were going to stone Moses. Moses, why, why didn't you give up then? Why now? What is it that has caused you to come to this point of time in the travels when you say no more? We want, I want to stay here. Well, you see, just prior to this chapter, as as Adrian reminded us, in chapter 32, a greater crisis arose. If ever there was anything to go wrong, any ever thing that that, that would turn Moses back, this was it. Moses went up onto the the mountain to meet with God, uh, and God was giving him the Ten Commandments and teaching him all about the things that the people were going to do and they were going to build the plans for for the temple and all the rest for the tabernacle. But to do all those things takes a little while. And when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So, what did they do? Well, if you if you read the account, you'll know. But let me tell you, just in case you haven't, they went to Aaron and they said, "Make us gods who will go before us." And so, they Aaron told the people to. Give him the give him your golden earring. So they all took their earrings out and, and gave it to Mo, gave it to Aaron, and he. We are told that he fashioned a golden calf. later on, he said, "Oh, it just it just happened. I threw the threw the gold in and came out. <laughs> good one, Aaron. Good one." He fashioned this golden calf, and all the people danced around and said. This is the God who brought us out of Egypt. How do you think the Lord felt? The Lord who had put up with their, grum- with their grumbling, the Lord who had miraculously delivered them and brought them to this point. And they are, they've turned against him. And they're, they're saying that their earrings <laughs> were the God who was responsible to bring them up out of Egypt, and as they were worshiping this, worshiping this golden calf, and carrying on and dancing around, at uh, in some of the versions it says, the people ate at the sacrifices, and they got up to play. I remember one one of the lecturers that we had in in Bible College, and when he was going through this passage, and he looked at us and said. They got up to play, and they didn't play tiddlywinks. We don't, we're not given the full picture, but we are told that the people got out of control. It was basically an, an orgy gone, gone mad as they went through all the, the pagan rituals of worshipping this idol. And when Moses came down and heard it and saw what was taking place, God told him to call people, and the Levites came forward, and he went through. And the only way to control the people was to kill all those who were doing it. And then afterwards, at the end of chapter 32, and the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. And so we come to chapter 33. There's been a judgment. But in 33, we read the consequences of what took place. Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people who brought you up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and all the other rights. Go up to the land flowing... With milk and honey. You see, God in his faithfulness, nothing had changed. He was going to continue to fulfill the promise that he had told them to go into the land. Wasn't that good enough? Wasn't that good enough? But there at the end of verse 3 there is this little word that so often means so much. Go up to the land flying with milk and honey, but, but, I will not go with you. Why? Because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. Everything seemed as though it was going to go to plan. But there is one thing missing. God wasn't going to go with them. You know, as I was, as I was thinking about this the other night, I was watching the TV and uh, there was an advert come on. I've seen it in a few times. I can't remember whether it's Anaconda or BC, If It doesn't really matter. But there is this, this, these two people talking. And one of them goes to his, his workmate and says, uh, what are you going to do this weekend? And he says, "Oh, you know, just the usual things." And then you see this picture of the out camping and camping in the bush, and then there's water, water skiing behind the boat, and then they're fishing, and then you have know, frying the fish and all the things that they're doing. And the inference is, this is life. This is, this is really living. Not doing the ordinary, dull things, but this is really living. And I thought, that's the way so many of us approach life, isn't it? All the things that we enjoy doing, but we can do all those things, just as Israel was going to go into the promised land. But the most important thing of all, the thing that really gives life, is missing. And so we see Moses as he goes and prays to God in, in the, in the tent of meeting. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people? from all the other people on the face of the earth. The presence of God makes all the difference. And Moses, having been called to take the people into the promised land, he said, no, Lord, if you don't go with us, I don't want to go. Because we'll be the same as everybody else. We'll be the same as everybody else. We know, don't we? We know the promise. The promise that God gave to, to, to Moses there in verse 33, verse 14. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. We begin to see, if we go through, go through the uh, readings about the rest of Israel's travels and going into the promised land, we begin to see the impact of what that means. Look, for example, when, the, when uh, Moses was reminding the people in, in Deuteronomy about this, these whole truths what other nation is so great as to have the gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him and what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I'm setting before you today remember people remember people that the greatest thing that you have is God, the Lord our God who is near us whenever we pray to him and as they went into, uh, Joshua sent a couple of spies out into the land to check it out, to see what it was like. And, uh, you know, remember the story? They, they came and then they stayed in the home of Rahab. And what did she say about the, about the people? This is what she said. When we heard about all the things that God has done, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. Why? For the Lord your God is God in heaven, above, and on earth below. If God hadn't gone with them, none of this would have been true. But all the people of the land recognised there was something special about these people, and the special thing about them was the God, the God that they served. God did fulfill his promises thoroughly. So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give to their forefathers and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side just as he had sworn to their forefathers. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord handed over all their enemies over to them. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Such a tre- tremendous start, such a tremendous relationship. But you know, it didn't stay like that. As the years went on, the people started to take God for granted. In the in their tent of meeting, in their tabernacle, there was what they call the whole area with the holy of holies, and in the, in that place there was the ark. The ark was a a, a box covered in, in, in gold with cherubim uh, upon it. I I did actually grab a photo I was going to bring you, but I had trouble with copyright, so I didn't so I didn't use it. And this was to represent the presence of God the Israelites were out fighting against the Philistines and they were being knocked about pretty badly. And so they said, we need God with us. So they sent word back to, back to, the, to, to the, where the tabernacle was and they said, bring out the ark, bring out the ark so that we can have the presence of God with us. So we will win. So they brought the ark out and there were two, two uh, priests with them, Phinehas and Hop- Hopney. Let me tell you a little bit about them. They were the sons of Eli. And the Bible says that the sons of Eli were rebellious. And Eli didn't pull them into line. They were some of the most corrupt priests we read about in the scriptures. Taking all the offerings for themselves... Sleeping with the, with, the, with the women in the temple, making everything about them, <laughs> great priests. And here they are, taking the ark amongst the, Philist, amongst the people, the, fighting the Philistines. And the Philistines see it and they say, Now we're done for, that their God is amongst them. They attacked. They not only defeated the Israelites but they also captured the ark. You see, when we think God is something that we can use when we want him to fulfil our purposes, that's not the way it works. God's presence is something that has to be alive and active and real in our lives. Remember Samson. You know, how God used him, gave him an enormous strength to do, do, do marvellous things. And how, how, how Delilah got in his ear trying to get around it. And, and uh, finally he, he he gave her the secret, if you cut off my hair, I'll lose my strength. So she did. And when the, when the people came to capture him, he got up saying, I'll break these chains like I did before. But he couldn't. And it says he didn't realise that the spirit of God had left him. You see, when we take God for granted, that's not the way it works. Well, what about this wonderful promise, my presence shall go with you and I will give you a rest? Is it for us? Well... Many of the Old Testament promises are for us if we keep them into context. And this is a promise that has meant much to me over the years. Back in 1966, I was travelling through Melbourne, which I'd done many, many times, and I got lost, which I hadn't done before. And I ended up in a place that uh, I didn't know, but I recognised the street. And I recognised that in that street, there was a Bible college called MBI. And I thought, oh, I'll I'll, I'll just go and check it out. So I went there and I wandered around, like wandered around, the people in lectures and all sorts of things happening, but I didn't see anybody until someone someone met me and said, what are you doing here? Just looking around. So he took me to the principal. Now, if you know what it's like in school when someone takes you to the principal, (laughs) it's normally not a good thing, is it? But in my case, it was a very good thing because the principal spoke to me about many of the things I was questioning and worried about. And as I was leaving, he wrote a verse on, on an envelope and gave it to me. And the verse was this verse, Exodus 33:14, My presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. And that's been a great blessing and an encouragement to me throughout my life. But as I think about that, what about us? What about today? Well, I think about the words of Jesus to his disciples. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, we will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. That's what Moses understood, wasn't it? That's what Moses understood. "If your presence doesn't go with me, let me die here in this place. All your promises and all the training and all the things and all the I'm doing someone else's training, all the things that, uh, that God has done will mean nothing if your presence doesn't go with us. You know, one of the one of the great passages of scripture. And I will end with this. Remember Matthew twenty eight? When when Jesus is, is speaking uh, to his disciples? Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching him to obey everything I have commanded you. Wow! What an impossible task, except for these last few words, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. And I'm sure John and Sally hanging on to that as I go to Nepal, knowing that whatever lies ahead of them, the crucial thing is surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray together. Lord, will you open our eyes to see the futility of life if we're not even